Hello and welcome to another edition of Turn It to Punk Footnotes. I'm one of your hosts, Damien Abraham, and your other host, as always, the high-flying uh, Chris O'Toole. <laughs> How's it going? Good, buddy. <laughs> I'm doing okay. I was like, I was going to go into like some long, you know, Dusty Rhodes-esque kind of like freestyle banter there. And I was just like, nope, we got too many points to get to, Chris. I'm afraid I'm going to have to cut your intro short to make room <laughs> for nerding out about uh, two two amazing guests. Yeah, that was, <laughs> I like that it was like a, it was a fake out, so I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, good, both uh, good episodes, I agree. Oh, well, thank you. And how have you been, my friend? Uh, been good. I have nothing to... I'm trying to think if there was anything I've done of note, but uh, no, I'm good. Everything's been fine. I think we went to a concert to a, uh, since we last spoke, but maybe I'm mistaken. I'm sure I did. I just can't. It was nothing really punk related, I don't believe, so I don't okay. think it's anything worth mentioning. But yeah, I don't know. I've just been up to my usual. Nothing uh, nothing too exciting, but yeah, things have been good. You're you're the one that's had uh, a lot going on. <laughs> I've been. It's been a kind of hectic a couple weeks and it's about to become a, another hectic week as I go off on a, the first fucked up tour in God over a year. Maybe That's a little soon already. Yeah, we're going to yeah, we're going to Europe. But it's been over a year I think since we've been on tour. And where can they see those dates, Dave? <laughs> uh you can see those dates on the internet. Um fucked up.cc, <laughs> I think that page still works. Yeah, I think you're correct. I just thought I'd cue you up since that was a nice little segue. I know, I should know this, but you Fucked Up is on all those social media platforms. And I think if you look up Fucked Up Band, we're definitely the first thing that comes up. They were verified on most of those things, too. Uh, yeah, I, I suppose. I'm just verifying for you now, though, that... Uh, why does it have... Oh, Shows. And your dates are, in fact, on uh, fuckedup.cc, correct? Yeah. So go there right now and check out those two shows. We're playing one show in Spain and one show in England. So it's it's a very brief tour, but it will be a very fun show. We're going to be playing some new songs, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's been, it's been a while. Yeah, you were... Been a while. I was looking at, yeah. Why, uh, that's, wow, that's a strange choice of two places to play out of everywhere. That seems um, like a very vacation uh, choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You think of uh, Malaga, Spain, of course, being the uh, second show that we're playing. Uh, we are playing a festival there, and uh, they did say they're going to put a fucked up for two nights uh, as well. But because I have to get home to the kids, I'm hopping straight on a plane and flying home instead of hanging out for a day on the beach in Spain. <laughs> well, you miss out. Well, I know, I know I miss out, but like, I think what I lose in fun in the sun time, I gain in family time. So it's like, it's a trade, you know, it's not, it's a trade. I'm not going to say that all parents and fucked up are making as selfless a decision as I am. There are some parents and fucked up one other parent in fucked up that uh, is choosing <laughs> to take that extra day in Spain. But 
Not me. Not I. <laughs> anyway, so yes, you have that coming up. Oh, we have that coming news. up. Yeah, and one day we're playing uh, a festival. We're playing The Hangar in London as part of a Vision Festival there. But it's going to be... Uh, I'm, I'm excited to play this. I'm really uh, excited to get back into it. You know, it's been like... When it's been a long time and you haven't played a show, there's uh, a, a nervousness that you feel that I think it might be the longest that I haven't played a show since fucked up started. I, that I wouldn't know, but okay. W- would make sense. Jeez. Now I'm giving myself nerves. All right. <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yes. Uh, but anyway, that is that weekend and, uh, coming up and the weekend that just passed, I was in Montreal for 77 festival and heavy MTL, I did a live podcast. I will have more on that next week. We'll talk all about it next week when that episode airs. But I also got to go to the 77 Festival itself, Chris. And let me tell you, it was like a turned out of punk dream vacation. That festival. <laughs> yeah. We got to go next year okay. just, just to go. Okay. The catering backstage is incredible. <laughs> that's your highlight you've mentioned it like a few times it's insane how good that food is though chris they had you know i'm not vegan but they had a jackfruit bar with jack like several different different preparations of jackfruit nice. for the, hey, for the vegan good. people there yeah they had some non-vegan dishes as well um, <laughs> yeah i would think <laughs> it was it was definitely it was amazing and then i got to see like so many former guests of Turned Out a Punk. So many friends of Turned Out a Punk. You know, like I couldn't walk backstage without walking into someone who had been on the show. It felt like, you know, and a yeah, lot I of saw some photos that was shot. Like, get what was uh, Gethard doing there? Gethard was actually not at the festival. He was there for as part of just for laughs, which is happening the oh, same okay. weekend. And so we went out for breakfast one morning, and yeah, very. Very awesome to get to see Chris, uh, Davey Havoc, of course, from AFI playing yeah. the show. Um, Zach Blair, now as of next week, four time guest on the show. Um, got to hang <laughs> yeah. out with Zach for a, a big chunk of the trip, actually. Uh, got to see uh, Chris number two, got to see uh, Spike and Joey from Me First and the Gimme Gimmies. Magnus, I got to see, meet Magnus properly. From the Satanic Surfers and Chris, the Satanic Surfers were fucking <laughs> incredible. Yes, I saw your uh, your your gushing over it. <laughs> I missed yeah, cool. the jump when I was trying to take that video. There's a photo of me looking at my phone while Rodrigo is like four feet off the drum set, just jumping. <laughs> nice. Um, but they were incredible. They played. Uh, an unbelievable set. Like that was definitely for me. I don't know. There were, there were a lot of great sets, but that was definitely one of the highlights. The Rosellos were awesome. Awesome. Cool. And they played right after satanic surfers. Um, and yeah, like it, what a, what a fun little weekend. I got to hang out with my cousin, miles, shout out to miles. Got to see my other cousin, Garland, shout out to Garland. Got to meet Sammy Zane. Of the <laughs> WWE, rumor has it he might be friends with a wrestler by the name of El Generico, uh, a a legend 
a legend, a Montreal legend, Chris. And we went out for coffee with him and got to talk a lot of cool, cool punk stuff, cool wrestling stuff. It was really fun. And tried to record record a turned out a punk, but we had some equipment problems. And unfortunately, uh, it will have to be done at a later date. But it's still a fun hang. Yeah, man, for sure. I think that's it for all the guests, former and there were a lot of other guests that had been on the show that were there too. Like David Cross was there, um, but I didn't get to see him because he left the day we got there. Michael Ian Black was in town. Uh, he never gave me his phone number, so I couldn't really text him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, Scott Thompson was there. Uh, once again, I don't think he gave me his phone number, so I couldn't really text him. Uh, but it was still like a lot of a lot of turn out a punk alum and friends, and of course yeah. Melanie K, the amazing nice. Melanie K. Yes, who I believe was your your uh, hookup for all of this, if not, yep. if I'm not mistaken. Yep, nice. R- went out, wrangled all the cool guests for the live podcast, and uh, yeah, put up with me, put up with my my flakiness, and you know when you weren't there, Chris, to to crack the 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 kind of like rule book at me, throw the rule book at me. Um, I was hot boxing <laughs> the backstage area with dabs. You know, it's kind of, it was, it was very different show without you there, Chris. So you were missed, but it was very different. I got Zach Blair contact high before he went on stage. So, you know, some, (laughs) some edges were broken that night. So maybe you were happy that you weren't there. Well, yeah, that, that, I I think you're exaggerating slightly, but yes, that did not occur on our quote unquote tour. Correct. No, that did not. There was no weed smoked on our tour. It's still crazy when I think about that, Chris. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, but anyway. It was, uh, it was still fun, though. I, it, I was it was amazing. It was amazing, you know. We I were high on Ian Mackay. <laughs> yeah, nice. <laughs> uh, we've it's got, it's, it is true. that There was definitely a, uh, whatever, a meeting... Uh, whatever. A meeting like, of the uh, minds. Yeah, but like a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? We were jazzed on that for like days. Like oh yeah, like, absolutely. So happened what the two? Yeah, we st- we had two things after that. So you, that was correct, technically speaking. Yeah. No, that was that was definitely the that's that's the natural drug, you know, hanging on that Discord porch. That's why those guys didn't need to do drugs. They're actually getting high off sitting on that porch. <laughs> it's a good porch. Oh, Chris. I'm trying to think if I bought any records since we last talked. Did I talk about the hagfish 7-inch that I got? You did, yeah. Okay, good. Okay, thanks, Chris. I'm glad one of us remembers these. Th- <laughs> yeah, no, but I remember because you were. it's got the note in it. And yeah, no, that's it. That, but I can't remember what the – but what was the circle on that one because it was – Oh, it had that crazy note. It had that crazy quote from Zach Blair on it. That's right. Okay, I knew it came in full circle to like a previous guest or something. Yeah, I was trying to remember. I thought I had a lot more to talk about off the top of the show. That's why I rushed your intro like that. Um, But I, you know what? I I don't think we did. I think uh, apart from thank you very much to seventy seven festival. I'd love to come back and do it again next year. What a fun time! Heavy MTL. I missed the, the the homies that were playing heavy MTL the next day. I missed seeing like power trip. 
and Riley, of course. So shout out to Riley. And I'm sorry we didn't get to hang out, buddy. And I hate God played too. And sleep played they the played. next day. That was that heavy fest or whatever? Yeah, heavy MTL. The day I was there, it was Red Fang, uh, Napalm Death. <clears throat> um, but the next day, it was like a lot of cool bands too. Huh. You know, I Crazy. missed it. I, I would have liked to have seen that Sunday. That's for sure. I did, though, Chris, get to go and see Sleep live in Toronto. Nice. It was a lot how of was, fun. How was that? It was a lot of fun. The after party was wicked. I'm going to say, <laughs> I'm not going to toot my own horn on this one, but yes, I, I did put together the after party for the show. And by after party, I mean a bunch of weed broken up on an amp. <laughs> but it was still cool. So did you, like, you know them? I, I wasn't aware I, that you No, a uh, friend of the show, Tomas, was who, you know, was the reason that Craig Ferguson was on the show. Uh, I've, I've known him for years. He worked with Dinosaur Jr. And he was just out with Sleep selling merch and some members of the crew and uh, maybe a member of the band or two were in need. And hit me up and said, can you bring a joint? And I'm like, Oh, I, I can do see how this happens. Do better than that. My friend. And, uh, came <laughs> down and we had, a, we had a fun time. So that was like, that was my week. It was, it was a jam packed week for a guy who spends most of his time sitting locked away in this very room that I'm talking to you from. It was a full ass week. Yeah, it was. I agree. I, I you were very busy. I knew that's why I figured our schedule got a little uh thrown off, but I figured it was probably because you were always uh you were away. I think you were away that whole weekend though, weren't you? Yeah, I was in Montreal like for I left on uh Thursday and I didn't come home till Sunday night. And then it was get into new job stuff and getting drapping up some other projects and you know, it was a uh, yeah, we got it, the week has flown by, you know, and now I'm leaving again. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Never thought of that. Yeah, a lot of family stuff, a lot of baseball. You know, if I look you back on a lot this, of baseball when you're home, well, holding my eldest plays baseball four days a week. Oh, I see. Gotcha. So we're at a lot of baseball games. Like our life is kind of dictated by his baseball schedule these days. I find. Which is great. It's all right, though. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's amazing. You know, like, I just am not used to it because, surprise, uh, very rarely was I called upon in athletics to do anything more than once. <laughs> well, uh, that's why things were happening as they were, because if you were like a major athlete, your child probably wouldn't be interested. No, that's true. That's very, very true. Um, also, I guess I should say that there is a uh, fucked up tour announced. Uh, so get your tickets. They are on sale now um, at, well, I guess you can go to fuckedup.cc and go to the shows and there's a list of all the shows and you can buy your tickets right there. But we're going to go all along the East Coast in November. Just when you want to hit the yeah. East Coast. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you go when you can go. You go when you can go. That's exactly it. 
All right, buddy. Um, I guess on to today's show. Today on the show, not one, but two, dare I say, radically different guests to talk about on the show. Yeah, I guess. I never thought about it in those terms, but yeah. I I feel there's like a similarity in the sense that um, they both have really interesting sort of histories. So I see a similarity, but you're right. As far as like the bands they've been in and what have you, yeah, definitely pretty major differences. Yeah, I would say that also both of them in their respective genres played like a defining kind of role. You know, like there's Slint, you know, kind of created a, a, a whole sound for bands to kind of like follow in. And I think the real McKenzie's definitely for their style of punk, you know, like they were one of the first doing it. Like, obviously you have bands like the Pogues and stuff like that, but like in North America, they're, they're really early to that sound. Yeah, I agree. I, um, I was unaware largely. I've talked to you briefly, or you've mentioned briefly, I should say more than I've inquired. Uh, I never knew too much about his his past pre Real McKenzie, so um, all of that was interesting to hear about. Uh, and of course, like I I knew as far as uh, Dave was concerned, I, I only knew sort of what the, the surface level of what he was involved in. I wasn't aware of how <clears throat> quote unquote how deep he goes into like the the punk stuff, which was cool to hear. Yeah, like that episode um, has been one that Tristan was pushing for for a really long time. And, uh, you know, I kind of was always hoping I'd wind up doing it again with him in person because I did meet him all those years ago at that show. And it, he was like a really easy conversation when we were talking about music back then. And so, you know, all these years later to finally get to do it again, even if it's just over Skype or, or FaceTime or whatever it was. Uh, was awesome. You know, like he was someone that I had no idea was going to provide so many links. Well, it is kind of weird that <clears throat> the way you released the episodes that it actually even worked in that respect, that it like piggybacked on even the DeWitt episode a bit, which I, I would have never, ever in a million years have coupled those two uh, ever on anything. So yeah, is I don't know. I, I enjoyed it. I, I think uh, the both episodes combined trace a pretty good <laughs> um, timeline as far as like whatever from the 80s forward that would, uh, I don't know, keeps keeps people like me happy hearing about all these little, uh, I don't know, gaps that are being filled in or however you want to say it. Yeah, it's like I thought it was like really awesome to kind of, you know, like realize that there is this moment where once again – you know, you have two people that would go on to create radically different sounds, like radically different sounds with their bands, but both kind of can, you know, when you find out both of these bands can kind of trace their influences to Louisville, Kentucky, you're like, oh, that makes sense. Integrity and Slint kind of do fit in the same, you know, world. Yeah, but on the surface, those are two bands I would never have placed in any, uh, what's the word? <laughs> pairing in any regard typically like sonically speaking no absolutely i think but both of them are like bands that kind of struck out different ways like slint obviously like one of the most radically different kind of bands um of of you know the american underground of the 80s uh 
and and that's an integrity I'd say for like hardcore, you know, one of the more radically different kind of bands. Yeah, I, that's fair. I get what you're. I get what you're just going on in that one. Uh, well, I think we should dive into the first episode. Uh, I guess we should start with Dave and get. Sure. We can get into some points because there's a lot of points to get into on this episode. Uh, a lot of places to go. Chris, do you want to start off? Yeah, I'm looking at the list here. Um, there's certain things I want to hear about, but I'm not sure. Like, I don't have any knowledge of, so I figure we'll get into those a bit later. Uh, if maybe you've unearthed anything or you know anything, particularly like the the malignant growth thing. Yeah, there's uh, YouTube videos, I've... and there's a demo reissue of it now, or a reissue of the demo. But God, that band's it, it's cool sounding. Well, just I, I guess we're into it now. We're talking about it, but um, the sort of the reputation that precedes this group based on everything he said and even the people he speaks of uh, when talking about this band is kind of like, it's pretty unbelievable considering I like I'd never heard of this. So it's bizarre to me that groups there, you know, that you you're still finding groups that have not whatever seen their day when it, it seems everything has been, you know, every stone has been unturned, so to speak. Um, but this is one that I had no knowledge of at all. And uh, I'm kind of shocked there isn't more based on, again, the reputation. He he held them in such high regard and like even was talking to other people who did as well. So, um, But I, I had not even looked up those videos or anything yet, so I got to check that out. But I just didn't know if you had anything to go on that you learned after the interview since. No, once again, like a completely unknown band to me, a, a fascinating band from the way he described them. There's a lot of stuff that, uh, like, from Louisville, obviously, later that I know and am familiar with. The stuff that we kind of talked about, Solution Unknown, and, and the stuff that came out on that label. Uh, and then, of course, initial records later on as well. But as far as that band in particular, and, and before that, too, with the end tables and stuff like that. But, like, that band in particular was one that, you know, I think it's maybe the problem that they don't have a record. And that's why, and they're kind of left to being the stuff of local legend, and I guess the legend of Ian Mackay. But the stuff that I heard, it's got that, it's like a real tough, hard, hardcore, you know, like, uh, I don't know, I got to go back and re-listen to it, but it was it was awesome. You know, once again, like a, the gift of obscure hardcore that keeps on giving. So just to clarify as well, because you mentioned that they did reissue the demo. The demo, there's a seven inch I found here. On Who Cares Records, uh, I'm just making sure this is the same band. It was released in 2011. I think this is the only band of... I think that's the one. Yeah, it seems about right. 83. I'm just trying to find anything that's distinctly... Anyway, I believe this is it. I don't believe this is a different malignant growth. I have a feeling this is the only malignant growth. No, I think I think it is the one when I was doing a little bit of research on it. Yeah. But yeah, so there's a there is a vinyl seven inch of it, released in twenty eleven, like I said, by Who Cares Records, which I have to check this out. Yeah, that's cool. There's it's very limited. There's only like three hundred, I think. Yeah. But yeah, looks cool. Um but anyway, so I didn't realize that somebody even done that. I thought it was only like whatever demo, like YouTubey stuff thrown up there. Oh, oh this looks like actually maybe this is legit because there's all this information. But it came out in France. 
the actual that that seven inch that's where it's out of yeah you're saying yeah I'm just looking mm-hmm. at the flyers that they have too there's like some pictures of old flyers violent apathy saccharine trust black flag uh, yeah it looks, to... it looks looks pretty thorough like the the notes when I pulled it up yeah it looks pretty cool it's funny, man it has I'm to get that two it has two covers, but there was a limited one I was looking up. But yeah, the re- the regular cover looks cool too. Yeah. But the uh, <laughs> the back of the regular one's funny. <laughs> okay, yeah. So the limited cover does look better, but <laughs> nonetheless, um, yeah. Okay, I gotta check this out. There's a numbered one. That's what I was. That's the one I pulled up first. It just has like a, a like a band photo in front of like a chain link fence. It looks cool. Yeah, no, it's it's it looks like a badass seven inch. I imagine it's impossible to get. It looks like one well, is not even available on the cogs right now. Oh, maybe there are. Are there? Yeah, it doesn't seem. Well, I guess it's expensive enough. It's not that pricey though when they come up. Seemingly. No, no I guess the limited one's the one that's pricey. Yeah, the regular version there's ones up, but the uh, yeah. Anyway, cool. So there is there is a release. Okay, so I learned that just now. Um, but yeah, so that was kind of my first point was, well, I didn't think that'd be my first point, but I'm going to go on that. What else, uh, what else you got? Um, I love the fact that we got to talk about, uh, the, the, the fact that like Tortoise had a hand gesture to deal with Punishers. Cause I imagine Tortoise <laughs> has some unbelievable Punishers. Yeah. <laughs> um, I like that idea too. Um, I was unaware until you started talking through the episode that he was involved in Tortoise. So that also kind of blew my mind. Um, but yeah. It's... Dude, we should do the, actually, before we do, we do this, we should do the deep dive on his discogs because it is nuts. Well, let's go. What, what, uh, what are we getting into here? All right. Call it up. Dave Paho. Yeah, I've got him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so There's right. a few things, too. Like, he's listed as being an Interpol. When was he an Interpol? Recently. He's on... No, he's listed as, like... Oh, okay, never mind. I just called up. I was going to say he's on the first record, but no, that's incorrect. No, he wasn't, um, yeah. Anyway, so what were you going to go on here? What What is your... Well, like, you look, you start getting into all the records this guy's played on. And it's it's nuts. So like obviously, as you say, we've talked about tortoise. We've talked about um, uh, Papa. We, we didn't talk about Papa M. Interpol, Papa M, the Four Carnation, which once again Bob Bruno connects through turned out a punk style for that, um, and Swan as well, like the thing with Billy Corgan and that band Maurice, yeah. that crazy band Maurice too. Yeah, there was there was a lot of ones like I'm not familiar with with most of this stuff. Um, I'm familiar in name with some of it, but the Zwan one is amusing to me because I, we used to have a tour joke, um, calling this band Zwan uh, like the wrong name because when it came out, it just seemed like a strange, bizarro band. Um, and in fact, the only thing I seem to like about it is that uh, this person was involved in it. But um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, but so, yeah, that was funny to see that he was involved in, but in terms of, uh, the other ones like that Maurice band, 
I wish I knew more of because that's one that seems to like really fill some gaps and kind of uh, whatever you want to say. Like the fact that like is it Will Oldham was in it originally? Um, no, it was the guy oh, from no, King Horse and all the guys from Slint. Okay. Anyway, what over the course of it? Yeah, I'm just like basically I'm I'm largely unfamiliar, sadly, with his. Um, most of his groups. I'm laughing here too because Dame, you, he, there's a a group here listed called Bush League, which is clearly not the Bush League from Toronto. No, no, it's not. Um, so there was another Bush League, the original Bush that League had records though. Yeah, wow. I don't know these records. Do you have any of these ones? No, it's I don't have any of this stuff. I w- I wanted to get, you know, once again, it's like I have the King Kong stuff. Uh, even yeah. like, even the, the weird earlier pressings of slint records, I'd love to get all that, but I don't, I have just like touch and go pressings. Huh? Yeah. See, like I didn't know King Kong, Maurice slint. I've, you know, heard in passing, never got into slint, uh, solution unknown obviously sounds sick, but I don't know that either. Weirdly enough, tortoise is the one I, I know the most out of all of it, but, um, but yeah, I don't, uh, so what you said you have, what was the first thing that you, that you recognized him from, I guess? Like, when did you talk to him? He was a solo performance? Yeah, he was doing a Papa M show, and he did, uh, I guess, <laughs> I guess he must have done Last Caress. I'm trying to think what song he would have done, but it must have been Last Caress, because he didn't later recorded that song. And then we just started talking about punk backstage at the Horseshoe, and uh, you know, he, he definitely like, I was very underschooled at that point in my knowledge, but you know, he certainly was able to kind of like go at that point. And so I was like all these years later with a little bit more knowledge under my belt, I knew. <laughs> it was be a good one. I think you, uh, yeah, I think you, uh, you made up for the past on this episode. <laughs> yeah. No, but, that's uh, the thing is they never get away. You know, they might run for a few years, but they never get away. Just ask Jack Black. <laughs> that is a very funny way of putting it. <laughs> they never get away. Um, so what was his first, like, if I'm tracing this correctly, Solution Unknown is his first group? Or yes. Was, that was at the same. But Slint also had overlap, or no? Yep. There's, there's like, uh, some really cool flyers on his Instagram uh, that kind of, show that there's like a lot of overlap between a lot of these bands at the time. And I guess it's like, you know, a real short time period we're talking about, but solution unknowns for seven inch comes out in 1986 and they had an LP that came out in 87. So they were around for, you know, like a 84 to 87, I guess. Yeah. This Karen record looks crazy. It's just like got the little promo sticker on the corner. That's cool. Cool vibe. I don't know this either. Do you have any of these records? No. He did say he would send me a copy of that Taken for Granted EP. So uh, I haven't hit him <laughs> up for that yet. <laughs> but so I want that record so bad. Self-Destruct Records. What a cool-ass label. This record does look cool. That 7-inch is a very good-looking record. It's a six-sounding um, record, too. I have not heard that. This Self-Destruct. Oh, from Louisville. Okay. Trying to look, I don't think I have anything off this label. It's it's like a, I guess like a fairly obscure label. Like I imagine if you're in that area, it would have been kind of very much 
of the norm, but it's got starts off with Solution Unknown. That big deal seven inch, very mysterious EP, is fucking incredible. Like the second release on that label. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking it up now. Yeah, it's it's a great record. These records look great. Like these first two, they they could be records like off of like the original run of like Touch and Go or like Discord. They look they look awesome. Totally, totally. I guess it's a little late. Um, yeah, but I mean, that's for me. That's pretty outstanding. Like eighty-seven, a record looks that good. Yeah, that's rare. Like, yeah, that Louisville Sluggers comp too is actually really sick. I gotta try and find this comp. I'm just seeing who's on it. Yeah, fading out AYCD solution unknown. Spot and big deal. So is this all sonically like whatever, like first, well, not first wave, but whatever, like punk in that same sense, like or punk hardcore, or is it different sonically like other bands? It's kind of raging. You know, like I wouldn't say, you know, it's not like they're, they're, you know, reinventing the wheel like he would do later on with some bands, but definitely it's, it's more raging than a lot of the hardcore that you wind up hearing. Yeah. But this is interesting. The, uh, okay. So there's this band fading out, right? That is on that comp that they would later have a record Mm -hmm. on palace records. Yeah, uh, which was a subsidiary of Drag City, which I think was uh, Will Oldham's label for a while. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so like, it looks like this fading out thing is a discography LP type thing, but it's it looks like this might be the post malignant growth band. Ah, uh, okay. Um, hmm. Yeah, it says first release of 10-year-old recordings by a legendary and influential Louisville hardcore band. Fuck, this is something I want to get. Yeah, this looks cool, too. It's All of this stuff looks pretty amazing. Like, I I don't have any... I feel uh, remiss in in saying that, but yeah, I don't have any knowledge of a lot of it. But uh, it does look cool as hell. A lot of this stuff. And I, yeah, there's not, I usually I'll find one record I've seen or I'm familiar with, but yeah, nothing on this label peaks my mind. Other than now I'm aware of certain things like Solution Unknown or from this interview, but I'm going to check this stuff out. It looks like maybe Benignant Growth is the post fading out band or something. Sorry, I'm I'm going back Malignant Growth, but. No, no, no worries. I'm looking, the one thing I'm noticing real quick, you look up the discography for this label this has got to be incorrect but they were still releasing records in 2014 they released one that's got to be a different destruct i think it's the same one think eh? hmm. it looks like the numbering kind of makes sense you know and it looks like it would have gone the right way through it looks like there's just some missing numbers in this Yeah, but well, I don't know. It's 2014. There's a record from like the 22nd release is from '93. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't mean it can't be, but so it's like a 20 year gap. Although American Lessons looks like it could be in line with the rest, but it looks like it's almost a mistaken. There's two self destructs, but no, it's yeah. Either way, 
So it looks like they're slightly active in recent years again, I guess, whoever's doing it. Mm-hmm. Well, he, didn't he say it was the lead singer of Solution Unknown? Yeah, I guess. But it just seems like a strange, like, it takes a huge hiatus. It was and also, then, there's also a zine, too. That what, the self-destruct zine with the label? That's kind of where it came out of, you mean? Yeah, I think so. Like, I'm pretty okay. sure I have some issues of self-destruct, self-destruct fanzine. Either way, very cool. I uh, I have to check some of this stuff out because I have never. Yeah, all of it is pretty much, pretty much st- stuff I've not heard. But yeah, very cool. I don't remember what point we uh, <laughs> digressed from that you brought up. I think we we're but, talking uh, about. Uh, oh, his his bands. Yeah, we yeah, were just doing a dive into his discogs. Right there. So, but what like, was the? Uh, how did you like? Why were you at a Papa M show? Like that's what's blowing my mind more than anything else. I think yeah, I think he was playing. I don't know. I went to just see him. I because I used to do the uh, mods and rockers with JC, who owns the Horseshoe, and yeah, yeah. so I could just go down there and hang out. So I would just go to like so much stuff. There was like a year where I went to like a show almost every night there. Like I saw some weird stuff. You. Like I saw, um, uh, uh, Kevin Bacon Brothers, the Bacon Brothers. Weird. Yeah, I saw some weird shit that year. <laughs> but either way, because the whole time you're talking, like, why were you there? Like, how were you on that page? <laughs> that was but, a uh, weird time, Chris. Stuff. It was a weird time. I don't know. It's it's cool you were. I was just like shocked. Um, but yeah, so Maurice is the one. Maurice Lucian and Nona, though, too. I've got to try and although Maurice has nothing as. Like seems to have some MP3s is listed here. Yeah, but that's it. <laughs> original demo made for Glenn Danzig. Okay, let's just do. We want to get into that whole thing. Yeah, we should might as well get into the Misfits stuff right now because there's a, there's another crazy thing about the Misfits that didn't come up in the interview involving that kind of circle of friends. All right. Um, what, what, what? Well, there's a story that you know it's kind of well known, and so I I don't feel like I'm telling anything that. Uh, you know, like it, out of, out of, uh, you know, school or, or anything like that. But, um, I think it was when they were doing Spiderland, when they were recording, uh, Spiderland, there was an accident involving, um, uh, one of the members of the band. I'm trying to remember who it was. Was it Brian? Um, like from Slint you're talking about? Or yeah. Maurice, or I guess it was in both. From okay. Slint, from Slint. And, uh, after the accident, while in the ambulance, a paramedic called in code 138 and the immobilized, immobilized McMahon gained consciousness singing the Misfits song, We Are 138. McMahon's brush with death left the young musician feeling depressed, a condition that could affect the recording in the aftermath of Slint's next album. That's supposed to, that's the true story you're saying? Yeah, according, according to like the wow. reliable sources of Wikipedia. <laughs> either way wow <laughs> that's true yeah wow i would not have uh i did not think that's where you were going with this but that's <laughs> that's pretty crazy um that's nuts uh regardless <laughs> what i was going to mention was mick mahan uh, sorry i think i got his name mick mahan sorry brian mick yeah no worries yeah um, but yeah, it's a wild story. That's definitely like, uh, 
you know, he didn't tell it, talk about it. Maybe it's not his story to tell, obviously. And like, I would obviously, you know, not bring it up to him if he didn't bring it up, because maybe it is something that's pretty traumatic, but certainly once again, a, a very, you know, I don't know, like strong indicator about how much the misfits kind of affected the circle of people. Yeah. Well, he, he mentions that in the interview, which I thought was kind of remarkable. Again, that's something I would never have thought uh, based on the other groups this guy's been in. But uh, I thought he offered a really interesting window into what people don't normally talk about in The Legend of Danzig, uh, which is that in, in the years of like, however you pronounce it, for these purposes of this show right now, we're going to say Sam Hain, as I think most people do, but I don't know how it's said. But uh, when he's talking essentially about how that, I believe it was Maurice, correct, that he brought on? It was that end of Dave Pajos? Yeah. Or was it Slint? It was Maurice, right? No, it was Maurice. Maurice. Okay. So, because that, like, the, the MP3, whatever, right up on the, on the, the resource would, would tend to say that, yeah. But um, anyway, this idea that now, in hindsight, for people like you and I, we come to things late, and so the, uh, you know, the legends of these bands exist, but in the timing... Because it seems strange to me that, like, basically, like a, a, an un, basically an unknown group was playing with, you know, a well-established band of Danzigs. But mm-hmm. sort of the story seemed to be that essentially that it wasn't well-established yet, and they weren't garnering the kind of uh, whatever you want to say attention that the Misfits had, or however you want to put that, and therefore. You know, there was this bizarre window of time when I don't know when the first Samhain came out. I'm guessing late '80s. Um, that it wasn't uh, like it wasn't you know the biggest deal, I guess. Which to me seems insane, based on how huge those groups seem to me, or at least their fan bases. Um, it's not something I can even really wrap my head around. Like, did that not surprise you at all? It definitely surprised me, but then I kind of thought about it in the sense that, like, you know, Danzig from a lot of the stories you hear is kind of like an isolationist a little bit. And so I wonder how many friends he would have had as far as, like, bands that he was into. So this band that he's kind of been friendly with, this guy he's been writing for years, who's like, yeah, I've got this band, sends him a demo. I also imagine there wouldn't be too much pressure on Danzig to sell out venues. Yeah, that's true. to me, I think that story was just like one of, you know, because a lot of people, there's larger than life reputations of, of people in this genre, some people in this genre. And of course, he is one of those people. But I thought this was like a, a very, a lot more of like a, the kind of stories you don't hear, I mm-hmm. guess is what I'm trying to get at. And I think it was really interesting, his take on all of it in that um, both where he admits like it's kind of turned him off <laughs> that idea because what was it like he would have been off was it him that would have been offered the role as guitarist yeah he was offered the role of guitarist and dancing yeah. like how would that have changed music history like it's crazy to think yeah. about that but anyway we can talk about that as another point yeah but uh anyway so there's that but also just this idea that you know like again this this of all the groups gets this whatever opening slot on this tour which you would think, or at least I would have, at a time that there would have been other bands killing to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, he also he also hedged and said though that there was sort of like a rock star like ness of this 
you know, even pre-Danzig, quote-unquote, Danzig solo meaning, um, that sort of, like, you know, again, was a reputation which turned some of the more, whatever, devout hardcore punks or whatever you want to say. So, it's, I don't know, I just thought it was a really interesting uh, description. I think the, the kind of things that don't always get uh, painted in, like, the history books with enough nuance. So I like that story because I... I, I'm not someone as, you know, as the people who follow this show regularly, uh, I'm not the hugest fan of, of like the misfits, things of that nature, but I, I like this story. I thought it was really cool. I like, that makes me like Danzig a, a ton more. <laughs> the fact that he took like an unknown band on the road, like for that, for, I guess, first Sam Hain tour, whatever you want to say. So I don't know. I just thought it was a cool tale and it was one that I don't think a lot of people would have expected to get out of this interview. No, it was really balanced. I thought his take on Danzig, like it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't like overly fawning, but at the same time, it was, it was kind of like saying, like, yeah, he was really cool to us. Yeah, I think that's actually a really, uh, it's a very good way of stating it the way you just did, because it's often uh, these kind of people are very polarizing figures. So you you either get one or the other take, and it's usually pretty extreme in one way or the other. Mm-hmm. So this was. Uh, I don't know. This was just a more human. I don't know. I I just enjoyed it because it, it spoke about his journey at the same time as like painting this really cool, you know, vivid picture of a window in time that I can't believe existed now based on how things have panned out. That's yeah, what I'm trying to. Yeah. Yeah, it's wild. Like, I think he more than, uh, you know, well, first of all, I think he's punk as fuck. Like, that's the other thing. Dave Bajo is like the 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 realest guy in the room. I think that's the thing that comes across in this episode. Yeah. Um, and like in a way that like is beyond anything style wise, like he's just legit punk. Uh, I think I, right now we could transition into the point about, uh, I want to talk about a little bit about the band King horse. I don't know if you're familiar. Right. It's Mark's post uh, solution unknown band. They had an LP on Caroline with a okay. pretty distinct puss head cover art. Once again, this guy's like super well connected with like dancing. <laughs> yeah. He's friends with uh, Pusshead. Yeah. Oh, it's... he was in King Horse and Malignant Growth and Fading Out. I think that's a singer. Yeah, uh, it's hard to trace exactly who was in what, but I'm just trying to find this off of Solution Unknown and I can't seem to grab it. So, King Horse, the resource is not cooperating for me Sometimes here. the resource is a finicky beast. I'm just uh, going to look it up. Oh, it's got to be this guy. It's amazing how many, how kind of like incestuous the scene is. Like as far as yeah. everyone's in the same bands. Which So which member are you referring to here? Uh, I believe it's Mark, the uh, who I believe is the singer of Malignant Growth, was okay. in King Horse, and was in Fading Out. But he wasn't in Maurice, so that doesn't make sense. It's got to be someone who's in Maurice, too. I don't know. Or maybe Maurice just doesn't have enough entry. Anyway, this is very boring yeah. to listen to. I can imagine people are very bored of hearing me stumble over the uh, <laughs> Discogs entries. 
either way, I think people get what we're trying to un- unfold here. But okay, but what was your point about this group? Well, this is like one of these bands that you know is kind of you don't hear talked about at all. Um, well, at least I don't hear talked about it at all. But they're a pretty sick band. Once again, record looks incredible, but I think it's one of those things where there's almost like a regional like thing that gets put on punk, you know, like if it's, you can be big in your region, but there's only certain bands that were able to kind of break out of the region and become sort of successful on international level. Yeah, I think that's correct. But I think that, uh, I think that's always, well, it's, it's hard to say these things nowadays because I think the reach is so much greater and the, the history is greater, but, I think by and large, it's it's always been things like this are regional. That's the way I always view them anyway. I think it's easier to wrap my head around that, thinking in those terms too, which is also why I don't know much from this area because I've never mm-hmm. really taken a deep dive into the Louisville stuff or whatever. It's produced by Danzig as well, their big uh, LP on Caroline, the self-titled one. It's got a pretty hard intro on it too. I've never heard this LP, but wow. Band on the back is sick. Um, yeah, this is a what year did this come out? Uh, 90. Oh, it's 90. Yeah, that seems about right based on how it looks, but um, crazy. So, Pasta did the cover and Danzig produced it. Wow, that's that's positioning yourself at a, at a good point in time, I would say. They also have a seven inch, um, that's limited to 300 copies. They only like, uh, apart from that major label LP, everything else they put out seems to be fairly limited. Like yeah. two seven inches that were limited to 300 copies. And I guess there's a CD from 94, which is like a discography thing. Both of their seven inches are single sided. Yeah. And limited to 300. <laughs> Amazing on self-destruct. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's just funny. Like, like two records that are both single. It's just a, I don't know. That's a rarity. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, again, I don't know this group, but I mean, they're described as like heavy metal, speed metal, whatever. So that sounds, sounds pretty sick. Crossover. I, I would yeah, get. crossover. Definitely crossover. Yeah. Um, strongly recommend checking them out, you know, so does hard this to find LP... they're not streaming services though. So there's only one song available on the playlist. Wow, for a Pusshead cover, this is not an expensive LP either. I'm shocked. No, it's kind of like one of his unknown ones, I think. Yeah. Or lesser known ones, I should say. I will say that uh, I do think uh, it's just... (laughs) The artwork of this is kind of bizarre to me, of all of his stuff. Like, it's got his motifs that the skulls and everything are in there, but... It's just like the the charging forth spears. It's an interesting uh, interesting cover. It's very because it's ninety. It's got a very specifically that it gives you that Metallica kind of feel. Yeah, definitely like the Zorlock Zorlock era specifically is what I'm trying to cite. I guess I know it's obviously Pusshead's aesthetic, which is goes without saying. But anyway, I gotta check out the LP. Yeah, I don't know what. Yeah, it's it's, it's uh, once again as you said, fairly affordable. So. You know, if I find yeah. a copy, Chris, I'm going to kick it down your way. There we go. Hey, hey this is like, it should be like, this, this is collector gap fill like crazy. Glenn Danzig produced record, Pusshead cover, crossover group. Like, 
it's a good year, like 90. That's still going to be, if it's like a crossover record, should be good. Anyway. Um, I think cool. also, also moving on from that point, um, we got to talk about, to me, the ultimate what if that came up in this episode alluded to <laughs> earlier on. Yeah. How wild would it be if David Paho wound up being the first guitar player in Danzig? <laughs> well, the question I guess I have for you as your favorite, I can't remember what you said about Danzig. It was your favorite blues. You had some weird criteria. Uh, it's uh, electric white blues record post-World War II. But I guess there's no <laughs> pre-World War II electric. So my my thing is, would his involvement have changed that distinction for you, do you think? I I, I think it may have. Yeah, I think it would definitely make that record not as bluesy. It would have been. Yes, that's what I'm trying to. It could have been like it could have been like the dawn of like black metal, like with super weird atmospheric guitars. I was thinking that, or like, um, uh, like it would. To me, for whatever reason, the first thing that popped in my head it was like, I wonder if it would sound like the band Empire. But like with Danzig, like that was what I thought of when, I, when, when you first, like when you first broached this topic. I'm like, what do I think that like if it directionally changed, what direction would have gone? I think you're probably more accurate. But for whatever reason, the first thing I pictured was like something like Empire, but with Danzig instead of <laughs> whatever you want to call Empire. But what's uh, the first Empire song yeah. called? Like the the crazy intro one. On the LP, uh, yeah, you have song titles. Let you know the big one, the one up. that sounds like all of DC hardcore in the intro of the song. Yeah, I don't know if song titles were the damn. I'm gonna look it up here. But it's funny because, uh, like, um, the only thing that could make that song better would be when the vocals kick in instead of it being like a like a normal British singing voice. If it was fucking Danzig, just belting it out. After this epic intro. The, the irony is that it's just called Empire. <laughs> First song. Oh, is it called Empire? Yeah. That song's so Weirdly good. Weirdly enough. But yeah, anyway, I don't know. Empire. I, if you have, sorry, go on. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, I digress. I, I, I'm probably highly inaccurate by what I was describing, but that's what came to mind. Go on, Dave. No, I think it, you're right. It would definitely have been taken in a artier direction, I would imagine. Yeah, that that's what I'm trying to say. But I, I think you nailed it maybe on the head more. It might have been more of a like a a, a black metal precursor or something. But uh, in my head, it's Empire with Danzig on vocals. <laughs> Either way, you know, it w- it would have been a different reality than we're living in today. Indie rock would have, yeah. like, without Slint, indie rock would have developed very differently. Yeah, I agree with that. I still think he would have done Slint, though. Well, no, he was saying he didn't have time to do Slint because he had to be in Danzig. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I guess. I don't know. It seems like he was always in eight bands, so I just assume still would have come about. Well, I think Danzig is one of those bands that you do full-time. <laughs> true. Very true. He's like, you're in this band now, motherfucker. You're going full-time. <laughs> A sidebar, and it goes without saying, I hope one day you do, and I and or I can't wait for you to interview that. And I really hope it happens. Because especially unearthing all of these kind of things now, 
I feel like by the time it happens, I feel like you should get like even a year or two more under your belt with guests just to unearth even more kind of interesting stuff. Um, but I think it would be the the be all and end all to a Danzig interview if you get them eventually based would, on all of these little stories. It would be a doozy. It would be a doozy to f- be on the, you know, the line with Danzig and spend 35 minutes talking about the victim seven inch. <laughs> Just... And produce, and producing King Horse and how, yeah. <laughs> and what the first Danzig lineup would have been like with Dave Pau and the band. Yeah. Like, dude, have you thought about that? <laughs> it would have been weird, Glenn. I think you'd be right there with me. It would have been pretty weird. Uh, I just like, or the, or just the idea that perhaps indie rock doesn't happen the same if he hires him. So does he regret not killing indie rock? indie rock? Yeah, <laughs> Ooh, that's an interesting question. I think that would be, yeah. There's a lot of stuff to go there. I think like you could spend a good hour talking to him just about records he produced. Oh, yeah. You know, the King Horse record. I'm trying to think of other ones. Um, it's funny. He, <laughs> he hits down for producing the King Horse record, but now I'm on his discogs. And when you click under production, he doesn't get the credit for that record on it. Really? Someone just mm-hmm. hasn't done their... Yeah, someone hasn't update, put all the links updating in. Updating or whatever, yeah. So, like, people aren't paying attention to the important work Danzig did. <laughs> Yeah, it's bizarre. The King Horse record has gone, uh, gone through the cracks, I guess. But yeah, um, until now, until now, my what friend. What other, like again, because he is not my be all and end all of of human beings in terms of like people I'm obsessed with as, as far as punkers or what have you. But uh, I'm trying to look at what other, what else he produced. Not nothing. I was right. making a joke. I, I oh, yeah, I think it's just the King Horse record. But then that wasn't even there. That is, yeah. I don't even see any production credits. Oh, well, there's the King Horse record. I did miss. It. I just missed it. It is right after Initium. He produced all his own records, so I guess he did have a good run of producing, you know, some pretty classic yeah. records with just his own stuff. Since we're on the topic, <clears throat> one last point I wanted to hit on was I liked also that uh, that Dave acknowledged the idea of sort of, uh, he, he, I can't remember his exact quote, but it was essentially that he committed to a idea and he mm-hmm. never gave up on that idea, not once. Not not Dave, meaning he was in his reference to Danzig. Which, thinking about it in those terms again, it was another really interesting way of putting his career. Because, again, I don't know, I've, I've just never thought of it in that way. And, and when you look at the whole of, his, of the things he's been involved in, it is incredibly consistent, which mm-hmm. I think deserves a lot of credit. Um, so I, I just like the way he put that again. He he summarized Danzig the best I think anybody has ever summarized Danzig to me in this interview. Yeah, like, like you can uh, tell he's he spent a lot of time studying Danzig, like, you know, doing that covers record, touring with um, uh, being a fan of the Misfits, you know, just I think, you know, not that he's like obsessed or anything, but at the same time, I think he's just spent a lot of time thinking about Danzig and, and being in Danzig's head or not, not like, you know, he's messing with Danzig or anything, but just trying to get to the core of what is Danzig. Cause like, he's kind of the greatest enigma of punk ever, you know, like this guy that kind of like found punk 
definitely made records that were influenced by punk, but at the same time was just like totally on his own trip the entire time. It seems. Yeah. And I, and I think it's like, um, it just, it, it, to me, whenever it's not sort of an accident that you stumble on something like so many groups, you know, don't really have like a vision. They just kind of in punk, as far as punk is concerned, in my view, a lot of it's like a happy accident, you know, like, X individuals get together, they happen to make this thing. And the great groups, I think, do have a bit of vision, which is why they become the greats. But Danzig's vision, although it's not something that's ever been like my focal point, it is, you know, like he said, like when he's breaking it down, like it is incredibly consistent, uh, especially like up to like what I would say are his most like potent years. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if you like go up to like the mid 90s, essentially, and back. And you look at everything that he does, all of those steps, there's not really, you know, missteps within there, I would argue. I think they all are very, very consistent and very, very uh, whatever. They just, they speak to a greater, uh, you know, whatever, a greater skill set than I would have attributed to him, uh, you know, before thinking about it in these terms. That's all. Mm -hmm. I think he's one of those guys that just, you know, is a genius. Like it would have been if he had been in any other field would have excelled at it. Like there's just certain people that have, you know, and, and, and part of that I think is also being aloof or standoffish or, or, you know, just different to deal with, you know, I think about people like Jack white, you know, I'm not being disrespectful with that at all. Like, but when I say that, like he is definitely a different kind of thinker. Yeah. I think that's pretty consistent. That sort of, uh, whatever reputation of people who have that kind of whatever that uh genius to them if you will mm-hmm. you know like we've got a lot of geniuses on this show this is like punk rock seems to be the place that catches the genius that didn't find a way to apply their their genius for good so they just <laughs> apply it for punk <laughs> well, yeah, yes that's a that's a funny way of putting it but yeah <laughs> yeah well imagine he applied well, it to like, way- you know saving the world or something you know we'd be very different but instead he applied it to you know really defining record collecting <laughs> i guess yes <laughs> that's one way of saying it <laughs> but um I think we've uh, we've nailed the Danzig point to the ground. I think we we did well on that one. What, and I think um, for the sake of our own sanity, we might want to put a bow yeah. on this episode itself. Yeah, for sure. Um, David Paha will be back for multiple episodes in the future, hopefully. So we'll have a chance to revisit this and all the stuff we forgot to get to because there was a lot. There was like, what about Will Oldham knowing every single Misfits lyric? Yeah, just that's amazing. There's a lot. Yeah, that was a, one of my favorite inclusions was the, the idea of like Will Oldham in anything regarding what you guys talked about, which again, um, you need to – that's another guy I would love to see interview. Oh, absolutely. I think you know some of my favorite songs ever uh, have been written by that guy. But to think about like him recording you know, all these kind of great – gothic american you know <laughs> powerful pieces of music you know folk type songs and then you know they they press stop and he's like uh can you throw on that miss it's live bootleg again <laughs> like, <what's> the- 
<laughs> and like sit back and they'll like, listen to that in the studio. And he's like, all right, all right, I'm going to cut another one. <laughs> True. <laughs> all right, so where do you want to uh, do you want to go on to the uh, the Paul McKenzie is what you're saying? I think we should probably move on to the Paul McKenzie episode because I think yeah. that will be uh, where we will find ourselves uh, finishing up today's episode of the show. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, Chris, now, Paul McKenzie, what do you know? Have you ever toured with the Real McKenzies or played shows with the Real McKenzies? Neither. I've seen them either. Uh, but I'm aware of them as a fellow countryman of yours. Uh, they're pretty hard to ignore if you like punk at a certain point. Um, but, uh, no, I've never, I've never had any encounters with them. But this interview, I thought, was also very good. So I'm kind of... Uh, Although, again, I think when I would have been able to have any, you know, whatever encounters with this gentleman, I probably wouldn't have known of his connections to earlier stuff or I wouldn't have gotten anything out of it. So I think, uh, I don't know, I think he did a good job. I, I wouldn't have known his history. Yeah, like I, it's he's someone who um, I knew that, you know, there was that shared connection between the Enigmas and the real Mackenzies through him. But apart from that, like, I had no idea he played in some sort of pre – well, not some sort of – he played in pre-Enigma punk bands. And he's one of those guys that, like, it felt like if I could just go more and just throw out names, he was going to get more stories out. Like, you know, like, he saw the Skulls and the Stiffs. Like, he saw, like, the first wave of Vancouver punk. Yeah, it's uh, – with, with, every time you have guests like this, I always – they're great, but it just, I get so frustrated because they're, they have such privilege of age, so to speak, that, and or region, like regional privilege (laughs) that, uh, I'm just, yeah, in awe of. So there's a lot of stuff he threw down that I just was, again, I don't have great knowledge of a lot of it, but aware of, you know, the reputations of, and those, like the couple you just mentioned. Um, but yeah, I just, for me, you know, I don't know about you, but like I, first heard this group because I actually looked at the discography for the real Mackenzie's and I was trying to think definitely didn't know that first record but the I guess it would be the second LP which is 2000 now I must have heard of them before that Mm -hmm. anyway I, I heard of them in some capacity in between but I definitely didn't know this first LP I don't really know the LPs all that much I just remember them because the I did some, uh, like, whatever, like, college radio type stuff in these years, and I remember them getting uh, at least the second and third LPs. And I remember particularly when the third one came out, because Honest Don's put it out, which, of course, was like, I again, at the time, not really knowing lots of histories of the members and didn't really understand how that connection was made. But now it just, you know, kind of makes more sense as far as him being, like, an old-school punk dude. But, um... Anyway, yeah, so I didn't have a great knowledge of this band other than just sort of what their, you know, what their, the gimmick of it is, like that, the Celtic punk band thing, but I don't really have a great deal of interest in that sort of stuff, so I've always sort of, like, the records have never done anything for me personally, but um, I'm certainly more interested in his stories, and, like, for someone like this, like, just whenever he spoke of things, it's just like, man, like, even just talking about, like, his, mm. what do you say, it was his sister? Got into the MC5, like, in the 60s? Yeah. Yeah. See, so like, so he's, I mean, and then he's young, but he's, like, getting into that stuff on the ground level. 
which is insane. So I, I, it's just stuff I can't even fathom. But uh, I don't know where you want to uh, go to your first points here, what have you. Well, I guess, like, I wanted to talk about, uh, you know, I think, you know, going off of there, you know, like Vancouver is somewhere that, I don't know, like maybe it does get, certainly now gets brought up in terms of being like the the radical kind of part of Canada when in terms of like drugs and partying and psychedelic culture. But it's kind of been like that for a very long time. And the history of cannabis in this country, Chris, I know you feel like I'm bringing oil and flowers now into footnotes with this uh, weird segue. But it's amazing to kind of see like how that kind of history and that involvement in Vancouver affected the culture or maybe, you know, allowed that kind of industry to take hold there because of the culture. But whatever it was, you know, like Vancouver was definitely a pretty far out place. Like Toronto always has been Toronto the good. And Montreal is kind of too controlled by certain elements to ever allow it to get truly wild. But it seems like whatever was going on in Vancouver, it was ripe for MC5 and and good cannabis plants. <laughs> I've uh, I've never probably because I don't have a lot of interest in in the topic of what you just <laughs> mainly talked about <laughs> to get to your uh, end result there. But I've never thought about the idea like the the fostering uh, I don't know subculture. Dare I say that that made way for those sorts of things? Counterculture, largely largely spoken. Um, no, I don't. I don't. Uh, having visited a good deal of times at West, I, I don't. I can't say I really have a genuine feel for it. So I, I don't know how to speak on its behalf. But um, yeah, you, I don't know. Maybe you're not incorrect about that. <laughs> you would know more than me on that one. It's funny too. Like whatever hit that area as far as music, and no disrespect to all the bands that have come out of there since. There's a lot of great bands. But whatever hit that area for that period between 1979 and 1985, like it must have, you know, it inspired this incredible wave of bands, you know, and that's not just the punk bands that come up time and time again on the show, but like Skinny Puppy, like uh, 5440. That was something I definitely wanted to talk about today. Even though he didn't bring him up, 5440, the most underrated Canadian mainstream rock band. I know we've established that Sloan might be the greatest, <laughs> but my I just God. love how your, your titles are always, you know, criteria always have this, like, like the, the third or fourth word always, like, makes it very unique. <laughs> it has to so be. What was that one? Most underrated Canadian radio rock band? Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. Like that? Like they wrote hits, dude. They wrote hits. Good songs. They did. It's. I think, like again, I'm not sure how much that group translates to people internationally. I think to people uh, like you and I are. Are you forgetting about Hootie and the Blowfish? One of their biggest songs was a cover of 5440. <laughs> yeah, I somehow did forget that. Yeah, I don't know how. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't. Assaholic, I think, might have been a hit in the states too. Okay. Well, I don't know for sure. But yeah, like, that's a silly name. They've always had, they've always had songs. I've never, um, to be truthful on this, I never, uh, I've never, 
I, I now that you're saying this, I've they're from out west. I never even knew that. I didn't know where they're from. I never ever uh, thought about where they're from. They're so part they're of this wave of bands, you know. Okay. I never knew that they were from that whole area. Truly, one of the great uh, Canadian rock bands. But like once again, as with all great things in culture, there's some way to trace it back to punk rock. And with 5440, it happens pretty quickly, uh, pretty directly. There's that Mo Damu Records, which I brutalized the pronunciation of on the show uh, that they were on, which is a label that came out of Vancouver, put out a lot more kind of artier bend stuff. Apparently, it was the future manager of 5440 that ran this label. Uh, Modern Dance Music was the what it stands for. And it's a cool, cool label. You know, like they put out, Right from the very beginning in 81, they have this comp, I believe 5440s on that, but then they put out that first 5440 12-inch, and then ultimately what becomes the 5440 uh, first LP on a major label they put out originally as well. Uh, but yeah, like just like another stream of amazing stuff that was coming out of Vancouver. Yeah, agreed uh, simultaneously, yeah. But yeah, you were right. I've never... We've discussed even this label briefly on a very old, I don't know what episode. Maybe it was the one after you interviewed the the fellow from Slow, maybe? Yeah, I think so. It was on that episode. But, maybe uh, that came up. But we've we've broached this briefly. But I've never, um, and we broached, like, obviously we've talked about Quintessence and Zulu and stuff like that before, but not to a, a huge degree. But I've never thought about it in those terms, like you said, like, how many things were simultaneously happening. Like I've never, for whatever reason in my brain, I've never put like skinny puppy popping at the same time as some of this stuff. But yeah, you're, you're correct. It's, uh, yeah, I don't know what, I don't know what was going on there that made it so vibrant. I mean, cause there's stuff all over kind of happening, but mm-hmm. there is a good amount for a, for a pretty, like you said, a relatively small city, all things considered, which is the other big caveat. Yeah, like it's wild to think about like at the same time, like in the mid 80s, you've got Skinny Puppy, like a band that would, uh, you know, once again, kind of create a genre uh, unto themselves. Uh, You also have, you know, DOA and the Subhumans. You also have all these incredible power pop bands happening, like Art Bergman's coming out of that scene. But you also have like 5440 and all these weird kind of dancey, artier bands happening. And then you've got like Blasphemy. And this like incredibly <laughs> tough metal scene also happening too. And then no means no on Victoria and like uh, the Neos in Victoria too. Like it's, it's not a big city. Like anyone who's hasn't been there, it's not a big place for it to be putting out this much stuff. Like maybe it's just cause like when I try and think about Toronto in these terms, I, I can't, you know, I can come up with a lot of great bands, but I don't know if I can come up with as many, kind of like genre changing bands. Yeah, I think that's well stated. I, I think the other thing I would say is I think perhaps this is a little better captured. I think the records were coming out in a more, I don't know. It seems to be that they were capturing all the records where if, if you think of like some of that Toronto, especially the, particularly the hardcore punk stuff, it was not really getting released. I mean, like beyond like a cassette or demo or something. True. And and those cassette demos are amazing. There's a lot of great ones there, but 
you know, like the the Neos, Subhumans, DOA, like it's just like the list is just unending of bands. And I think, you know, given the size discrepancy between Toronto and Vancouver, uh, you know, we there there's just like so many more that are coming out of Vancouver. Yeah, I agree. Um, what a what a cool scene! What a great scene! And yeah, like once again, the Enigmas, a band that was very much feared. He told me a story off air uh, involving a music personality in Canada that was like one of the most terrifying stories ever. Like I felt so bad for this person involved in this story. <laughs> well, nothing criminal, but definitely like, oh gosh, no wonder you guys had a bad reputation. <laughs> You'll have to tell me off air then. <laughs> yeah, I definitely will. I definitely will. Um, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, you know, and one day when this person's on the show, I will have to ask them about this as well. You really? It's someone you think you're going to interview? Okay. Uh, I hope. Someone I hope to interview one day. Uh, they nice. they put out a couple records. They have an, two LPs. And then they're on a bunch of different compilations as well, but they are definitely a cool band. Like that's the other thing. They had a whole crazy garage rock scene happening too at the same time as all the other scenes I was mentioning. It just goes on, Chris. The the cup runneth over from Vancouver. Yeah. It, I discussed this in the past. I don't know how – I wish I could remember the episode. I feel like it was the slow episode. Yeah, it definitely. It was Tom from name. Slow where he said that it was like the third scene. Yeah, in relation to what was it, New York and L.A. Yeah. Right? That was, that and was it's Vancouver. Comparison. Which, uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue. Like, it's definitely hard to argue how many good records came out when you think of how many of those ones are really great records. Um, anyway, yeah. Uh, but yeah, the Garage, like the sort of later revival stuff, I'm not terribly uh, aware. Like the Enigmas, I, I'm not terribly aware of it in name, but I've never come across those LPs weirdly enough. Um, but, uh, do you have any of those, like, did you stumble across that stuff earlier or since you knew, like in recent times, since you knew of his lineage or whatever? I had the first LP, um, uh, and then I got rid of it. And now actually I'm going to probably rebuy it tomorrow because I know somewhere that has it right now. And, uh, <laughs> I'm like, now I'm looking at, it, I'm like, God, I really want this again. I also wouldn't mind getting that second EP LP or EP, I guess on, on, uh, Zulu. It's like a really early Zulu record when it turned over quint from quintessence to Zulu. It might be the first, like it might be slow. I think it is. I think it beats slow. I think it is the first record on the label. No, slow, slow's first. Yeah, no, it's definitely not the first record on that label, but a cool label nonetheless. You know, once again, uh, it's amazing how these scenes are all tied together. You know, like here they are on the same label that put up that first slow record. <laughs> yes, it's and it's actually funny that again, you've had these guests on relatively in close proximity. So you have sort of a, uh, the people that listen regularly have sort of a frame of reference if they didn't, weren't entirely aware of some of these things previous. Yeah. Like I would strongly recommend if you haven't listened to these two ep episodes in question yet, like listen to Tom from slows one and listen to this one kind of back to back because they do really fit together. Like there's stuff that they both kind of talk about, um, and allude to and, you know, serious stuff too, like really kind of, 
interesting things. So I strongly recommend listening to them together. Yeah, I, I would uh, I would concur with that one. I think eventually you'll be able to make sort of regional like playlists. playlists. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that that coincide nicely. But I think you've yeah that that's one pairing that's definitely quite nice. Yeah, um, we, uh, Twid Twid and Dave Paho, and then uh, Tom from Slow and Paul from the Real Mackenzies. Yeah, and like just to think because there's a lot of those people from that 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 are sort of like you know, even of more notoriety, dare I say, um, who you haven't got yet. So there there will be even more gaps, I'm sure, that will be filled in there. I know. I saw Joey Keithley this weekend, and I went up oh, to yeah. talk to him, and then I, I got distracted and didn't get a chance to, but that's one of the white whales for the show. <laughs> yeah, there's a few, of course, and and like you know, the no means no, and and stuff like that, like all that stuff, of yep. course. Yeah, no, be is, uh, is considered. So I'm sure at some point, it'll, uh, something will come about. I'm not going anywhere. I got I got years <laughs> left on me. <laughs> so what was? Uh, <laughs> excuse me. So that Enigmas. So they have two LPs, two twelve inches, looking, like twelve inch EPs, two twelve inches. Pardon me. Yeah. So Mystery Records is the first one. Interesting looking records too. Yeah, and it's like it's definitely garage rock influence, but like it's so weird. You know, like so like aggressive in its weirdness too. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Alternative rock, garage rock, hardcore punk is what it's all listed yeah. under in yeah. the categories. But it looks like the – I'm just trying to see. There's only, what, one, two years in between the 12 inches. Is there – because like, I haven't heard either, but is there a sonic departure at all or do they just kind of keep it the same? The first one is the like second, a little more punk, definitely. And then the second one is where they kind of uh, settle in a little more psyche, garage rocky. But the first one is definitely like a straight-up punk record. Yeah, because even the, the second, second one, one looks... has some ragers on it too. Okay, fair enough. Because the second one looks a little more. Uh, I mean, if I just were looking at it on the on the surface, it looks like more of almost got a new wave vibe. I get it has like that garagey thing, but like if you look at the band photos, it's almost like is this band a little new wavy? What's going on here? Yeah. Um, but yeah, clearly not. Anyway, no, sorry, no, I was no. just, uh, gazing at the the Enigmas records. I got to check out. No, don't worry. The about band it. photo on the back of that first record is pretty incredible, though. Wait, I don't know if you're checking it out or the people resource. If you look up Enigmas, and uh, there's a great band photo, which is actually the, used as their whatever their photo for the Enigmas on resource. Yeah, like there's other photos of them. They just look like a bunch of hard ass dudes. You know, like yeah. it, it's amazing. Like compare them to like the Gruesomes. It was this comp that I have that Nardwar put out, and it's got the gruesomes. And on the back, you can kind of look at all these garage punk bands. And, like, you know, the Enigmas don't look more like they're not like dressed up, you know? They don't look like they're walking yeah. around in Beatles boots on the back of this record. Yes. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they so are you don't, phenomenal. I don't have an outline for this episode because you sent it to me earlier. So, what, what are the points you want to go on here other than the. 
I kind of wanted to definitely talk about uh, the stuff we've talked about so far were things I wanted to hit. I think I also I wanted to talk about a little bit about IFA Records, which okay. put out the That's first uh, release by uh, the Real McKenzies. McKenzies, yeah. And also threw them off the label before that first release even came out, as Paul told us. So what's what? Yeah, like what? What was so? He talks about the connection between Seattle and those years. I thought he, he he talked about Seattle very interestingly as well. I thought like he kind of alleges that nothing is going on there now as well as Vancouver, which I thought was funny. But um, and then the, there was years where sort of they caught the end of like that sort of I guess the golden era. Um, but yeah, this IFA. I don't know most of his records, although the Swing Utters is interesting. Oh, you've never heard that Swing and Utters record, Chris? I don't think I've heard this one. Dude, that oh, is the no, best. Have. Yeah. It's the best Swing and Utters record, in my opinion. The Sounds Wrong EP you're speaking of, yeah. Yeah. It At opens with in- the song The Dirty Sea, which yeah. is it's like the apex of Swing and Utters uh, songwriting. <laughs> You've talked about this before, yeah. I might start crying. Came out the same year as that first LP. Okay. This what a year this label funny. had. Holy shit. Who else did they put out in 95? Glaze that. What else? Uh, a lot of records. You're right. Rio McKenzie's. Lemons. I don't know a lot of these other bands. Who are this La Donna's? I was just going to say, who are La Donna's? Yeah. Talk about a, an interesting... It's definitely not any bizarre, clever way of hiding the Donna's either. Nope. It's actually it's a, a different band. It's a it's a, another band that might predate the Donna's. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I guess. I never thought about that. Let's 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 investigate. Um but anyway, what a what an infinite name to have <laughs> for a band that's seemingly unknown, this La Donna's band meaning. First Donna, yeah, ninety. No, first single is ninety five. This is like the same time. Same time, just something was in the water that wow. year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Either way, uh, that's IFA. I don't know much on this label other than that. Well, I haven't heard this Rue McKenzie's, but obviously no swing utters. Those Zeke records uh, are killer. Oh, it's Zeke. Yeah, yeah, Zeke. I know. And that what's the Super Suckers? I want to get it's that Zeke 7-inch, but it's like, it's crazy expensive now. Is that the first 7-inch of theirs? I think so. 94. <coughs> it's a moderate record, yeah. Um, yeah, it looks like. Nope, sorry, it's not. The first thing they had was... Oh, no, I've got the first 7-inch. Yeah, it's the one with the acid it's like tabs. The, it's like the third record technically or whatever yeah yeah west seattle hmm. acid party is the first one yeah killer seven inch cool band. i don't have that either cool band though yeah amazing. Cover this record's amazing this first zeke yeah it's awesome <laughs> it's amazing i've never it's, even come across this record that's incredible yeah it's it's hard to find too like it's amazing all their stuff is really hard to find yeah um, but anyway, sorry, what, what do we, uh, IFA, Z, yeah, so there's only, the, those, those are the three sort of bands I know. I don't know a lot of these other little 
seemingly one-off things. But I'm wondering if any of them are, if you think they're releasing Zeke and stuff like that in that era. Super suckers, you know, super suckers. No, yeah, I know that. That And that weird record, like what is that record? I was uh, just trying to investigate that as you said that. 94 at BootCon. I think it's like a fake, a I think it's like a fake live, live record. record. Yeah, I guess. Because that's not, well, I guess it's early on. It's not the earliest stuff. But it's right before that, sort of the, to me, the biggest Super Suckers LP on Sub Pop comes out. Um, hmm. I'm trying to find where this falls. And there's not much info about it either. Yeah, live in Japan, 94. So it's just a weird live record. Yeah, it's about, so they got a decent run here, but that's Swing and record. And that Real McKenzie's record, once again, like you can't, you know, that that record is before kind of the thing really got going. Oh, wait, are they? They guess they had like a long career before they were recorded. Who is this you're speaking the of? The Real McKenzie's. They were around for a few years before they recorded, period. Oh, so 92 they formed. Yeah, which is kind of bizarre. Three years until the first, like, record or whatever seems kind of crazy. But then I, again, though, yeah. I, I like that he kind of framed it as saying that he expected nothing more to come. So they just committed it to a recording, thinking that would be that. Mm-hmm. And then, coincidentally, they've had, what, <laughs> 10 LPs later or something? Uh, four, yeah. 11. <laughs> 11 LPs since. That's amazing. <laughs> Which is nuts. Um, yeah, they definitely are. I remember talking to Fat Mike one time, and he's like, they are the wildest partying band. <laughs> and if Fat Mike Which says is... you are a wild partying band, holy shit. God help you. It, it's funny. What I've never understood, this is my talking point now, but I'm going to go on. Just using the real uh, the real Mackenzies as an example of this, I do not understand what the point and distinction of being on Honest Dons and Fat Records is, especially when you're a band on both. Well, it came up on like, the Anti Flag episode, right? Like it's kind of like they were yeah. like pissed off about it. But it's just so strange because you look the first two, um, right? Whatever the first two uh, real Mackenzies that come out on the on those respective labels start on Honest Dawns, and then eventually it just all goes over to fat. Mm-hmm. But it, from what I understand, it's the same entity. So I don't understand that distinction. I've never I've never understood why one falls on one and, and or the other. I think it's at, always been bizarre. I think it, when it started, I remember interviewing Diesel Boy as a young person yeah. and talking to them about why they were on Honest Dawns. And like the whole thing was that Honest Dawns was going to become more of a – just like all type of band label, whereas Fat Records were bands that could sound like they could open for no effects type thing. Yeah, that that was my understanding too. But it just seems like eventually now, because I believe Honest Dons is no longer a thing. Is that correct? yeah? They folded it into the label. Okay, so it's like I guess maybe that's all on Fat now. But it's just yeah, it's bizarre to me when I've always looked at because I think is Chicks has that happened too. I believe. Where they Chicks, start on one and yeah, I think, I think Chicks to get, uh, yeah, they were on right. So it went, 
sub pop, fat. Sub, sub pop, oh no, fat. sub sub, honest honest, and then fat. Yeah. Yeah. So it's always been that I've always been confused about that about that idea. And then I'm thinking now, just as a joke, I'm thinking maybe it's just Fat Mike playing a joke on Canadian bands, perhaps. <laughs> it's like you but guys weirdly get enough, propaganda. Yeah, propaganda never had that. Nope. Never on Honest Dance. And according to rumor, the biggest selling band ever on Fat Records. Who knows if that's true or not? Which is bizarre. That's crazy if that's the case. I know. Anyway. It, it wouldn't um, surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me either, but you got to figure there's no effects records on Fat. You would think that would have sold that. but Yeah, this was pre-no effects. Mm-hmm. And this also was from the same said Diesel Boy interview that I did at 14. So take everything with a grain of salt. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I thought you meant this was like a modern reference you were talking No, about. no, it's when I was talking to Diesel Boy back at the Opera House when they opened for Strung Out. And we started talking about propaganda. <laughs> they're like, you know, they're the biggest selling band on fat. They outsell all of us in t shirts. It's like, really? Okay. Well, that's gospel. Gonna remember that for the rest of my life. And here we are. <laughs> But see, the funny part is you said they sell everybody in T-shirts. So is it record sales? or is it I think it was record sales and T-shirts. He specifically also mentioned T-shirts, which if I'm not yeah, mistaken, is... I don't think they did sell T-shirts. But maybe they did sell a T-shirt. I don't know. I got to do part two with Fat Mike and ask him about or... this stuff. Yeah, Well, Propagandi like... did shirts for sale on Fat Records uh, from Fat Records back then. I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I don't remember. That's a good I don't. I remember having one, but I don't remember where I got it. I think at the show, probably. Maybe it right? Was the no, I never saw them in that run. So it would have been. Did they not play the Falls? Have we not? Have we talked about this? We must have talked about this. No, they never played. The, the closest were those Toronto shows way, way back when, and I missed them. Whatever, I just didn't go. And then I, I, I caught them late. I caught them in like ninety nine or two thousand. Was my first time seeing them. Okay, well then. So I saw them on Empires on that tour. Well, it's Chris, let me give you an incredibly detailed blow by blow of that first show then. <laughs> I've heard lots about it so <laughs> over the years. Um, I guess we should uh, move on to another point, though, before I start regaling you with yeah. propaganda stories. I'm trying to think of stuff that came up in there that piqued my interest. Um, Oh, that wasn't what we've already touched on, and I'm getting tired as well. To be fair, I understand. Um, Me too. We're gonna we're gonna wrap up. We're heading into the fin- the the final maneuvers. We're going to the finish, as they say in the other thing I love <laughs> wrestling. Um, but yeah, I don't. I, I'm trying to think of stuff you mentioned to to take talk points off of because a lot of it's real Mackenzie's. I like that how how sort of frustrated with the music industry he's been his entire career. That's mm-hmm. interesting. I'm not at all shocked at that, but, um, but it's like I've never. I don't know. I, my view on this group was like I didn't realize they were as big as they are. I guess is the way to say it. Like, yeah, it was more of like a Canadian thing. I didn't realize they were like internationally known. Yeah, no, they are. They are definitely, you know, world famous at this point. Like, I bet you they do probably better in Europe than they do in North America. Yeah, like, again, my, I don't have, like, a, I haven't really focused on this band since, again, probably the second or third record, so, or maybe even fourth when I, when those were coming out, but the, uh, 
I just it doesn't shock me though. Like stylistically, it makes sense. It would be big elsewhere as well. But yeah, I was not aware they had a huge following. Well, and they are also like you know one of the, the well the band that did it first. You know, like was not you know there's obviously the Pogues, but as far yeah. as you know Celtic punk bands like especially bands that were more kind of rooted in that sort of punk world, like they're they're the band that kind of put that sound on the map. I've never thought about that before um, because I don't have a great deal of interest in that subgenre, subgenre, but... Um, well, there's yeah, also the Mahones and Enter the Haggis from our area. Yeah. But I, but I, you know, like there is a, you know, a whatever, a scene of this, which I know nothing about really, but thinking about it in terms of this band maybe being one, if not the pioneering group, yeah, I suppose that makes sense. They would They would be pretty big. Now that I think about it in those terms. And the dude was also in like a super hard, weird, oh, freak out, new wave garage rock band. Yeah. Dual, dual that, legend, Chris. Aside. Dual legend. <laughs> it's true, but I just mean like, like th- that trajectory makes sense to me. It's the uh, not knowing what sort of what reach they had outside of Canada. Because as you know, it's, it's we, we have a little bubble here where I just assume because it is the case in a lot of instances for bands where groups seem to do well here and, and not so well outside. Mm-hmm. Although I'm not surprised to see that this group is not one of them. But um, yeah, that that's what I had always assumed naively, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at with this group. I wasn't aware that they were so active outside of the country. Well, they were on Alpha Motherfuckers, which means that they at least have a following in Norway. Yeah, which is, I've always thought that was bizarre that they were on that comp. And I never understood that entirely either, which of course now I do a little more, but um, that that's a weird comp <laughs> by any, by any metric. It's like, a weird comp. Yeah. It's a yeah, cool comp, course, but it's people, a weird comp. Yeah. But it, it, cause it, I can't remember what year that came out. It's like a uh, 2001. Yeah. But when you think of the cross section of groups on that, you have things like Satyricon and Therapy, but you also have Nashville Pussy and Hot Water Music. <laughs> like, if that band just hadn't gone really back, to, well, if that band hadn't gone back together, they would yeah. be like just like one of the ultimate legendary bands of all time at this point. Because like that's how popular and kind of culty they were, like two years after not playing anymore. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just, this comp is insane. The more I look at it, I remember always thinking, like, this is very weird. But yeah, it's got such a weird cross-section of bands. Yeah, it has a very weird cross-section of bands. Like a a cool cross-section of bands, but a weird cross-section of bands. And I don't understand the dwarves. (laughs) The dwarves do a split song with split and wicks they cover hobbit i did, like i can't even remember i've, I've heard this once because i'm not even big on like i i just think this comp is very strange <laughs> to be yeah. perfectly honest not even just for bands but just the idea of like again like you said it comes out in 2001 like they were done in what like 98 sort of until whatever you want to say 2002 mm-hmm. or 3 mm-hmm. so it's just such a weird it's only like 4 or 5 years after 
and there's all these weird covers of I don't know. Anyway, always thought it was weird. It's it's very weird. It's it's yeah one of those one of those comps where you're like yeah well I guess Bitscore had like that relationship with Turbo like they're the ones who order the jackets from right and like they're the ones who have done all their records in Europe so. You know, I imagine they would be the label that would be kind of spearheading this operation, but it's amazing to like think of all these bands being like, "Oh, that band, Turbo, a hundred percent, let's do it." Well, what's weird about this is that, like, again, this also makes sense and simultaneously doesn't make any sense. Like, considering what is on this comp, uh, like, how is Poison Idea not on this? Like, that's the first yeah. thing that strikes me. Yeah. Like the one band that actually seemed to have a relationship with that group. But on the other hand, I'm thinking maybe they didn't give a shit to cover a Turbo Negro song. And they could have been like, and that could have been one of those weird periods where they were like off and on. Right. Yeah. Fair enough. But it's just like, it's crazy. Like some of the bands on this, like what, how is this? <laughs> anyway, it's funny. That's a funny point to like be later though. To bring up this comp, <laughs> yes. But consensus here at footnotes is that this is maybe one of the weirdest comps ever. <laughs> it's a weird one, and, uh, and yes, the real movies are on it, and they they cover Sailor Man for some reason. Out of all the gra- oh no, there's mul- and here's the other weird thing with comp. <laughs> there are multiple people cover some songs that are the same. So there is another group that I can't even pronounce their name and I have no idea who they are, uh, that also cover Sailor Man on this comp. <laughs> like, so it's that weird. summarizes it perfectly, yeah. It's it's definitely reflective of a time, you know, where <laughs> you could make a CD, put a bunch of random bands on it that have nothing in common except for the love of one band and charge $30 for it. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Um, I'm yep. trying to find the Swing and Utters tribute comp because I think that might be one of the weirder comps too, but I can't find it right now. <laughs> which of which you're on? We are on that. We are on that comp. Uh, oh, there it is. A juvenile tribute to the Swing and Utters. I gotta look at this lineup. How are we ending this on weird comps? This is a funny... Uh... It always comes <laughs> back to weird comps. Yeah, this yeah, is a pretty weird comp. Are... Yeah, this at least makes more sense. Yeah, it makes more sense. That. I'm going to give you that. But it also, like, you know, you've got you got a, like an interesting mix of people in this thing. On <laughs> these pans here. What's also funny is that this comp also features, well, on the other comp, it's the Dwarves, but it's Black as a band on this covering song. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's the commonality. Also, Paul Bearer has a band on this comp. Really? Yeah, Joe Coffey. Is the, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Hmm. I would not have expected that, though. That is wild. Yeah, I got to get a copy of this comp. The label never gave me any fucking copies. Toby, come through, man. This was released in 2010, yeah, so it's been a while. Almost it's been a, a while I've been waiting on some copies. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I, I feel like they're not coming. <laughs> oh, I don't think I'm going to get them either. 
Um, when it comes re- when it gets reissued on vinyl, I would love to get a copy. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, but anyway, I guess that's it, Chris. We could be talking about weird comps all night if we let ourselves. Yeah, I think we're uh, dwindling down here. At least I am. Uh, well, next week on the show, we'll be talking about the Turnout of Punk live episode with uh, Zach Blair making his fourth appearance on the show. Spike doing a part two. Faye from the Rosillos doing her very first appearance on the show. And then, of course, the man who brought Scott a punk, Don Letts. And he, he argues he argues with me on that point, Chris. I can't wait to hear that because uh, knowing – I've seen you have some pretty legendary debates <laughs> with people. And I, I'm hoping that this is kind of one of those. I can't wait to hear it. Well – I'm not going to say that I debated him very much, but I did debate him on the one point which has to be debated on Turnetta Punk, which is who do you pick, Clash or the Sex Pistols? Oh, you put that to him, really? Yep. I had I should to. have guessed you were going to I I should have guessed you were going to do that, but wow. That's yeah. bold, I have to say. Yeah, he was not like that. He did not like that question at all, but we got a good answer out of it. <laughs> so <laughs> that's amazing uh, but yeah, that that is gotta, next week. nice teaser i like it go on um no that was just gonna say that's next week on the show uh but yeah that's it's a it's a fun one it's a it's a fun kind of experience but next time chris you gotta come we're gonna make sure we'll do it on a weekend so you can come yeah we'll figure something out uh but that, just uh, go on two quick real things before we sign off sorry to interrupt you there dame uh, which we'll try and touch on in other weeks, maybe. Mm-hmm. But we somehow didn't talk about that slaughterhouse <laughs> record. We didn't talk about the Again, slaughterhouse thing. We got to kind of talk about that because uh, you've seen that <laughs> seven inch, right? Like I showed you that when you came over one time. We have no, you never showed me, but we did touch on it on some weird early episode. Again, I don't remember why. It was something to do with the label, and we we got onto that record. Um. I can't remember who else was released on that label. I think it was uh, talking about Boom and the Legion of Doom, maybe after the Tony Urba episode and how they threw meat on the crowd. Yeah, something like that. But it came up because we dissected the the label a bit, and then you mentioned this record. So the only time I'd ever heard of that was (laughs) when you mentioned it way back when. And for him to have like a live (laughs) show story about them, uh, as it turned out, it was pretty incredible. Yeah. And that band, honestly, that art is fucking disturbing beyond all belief. <laughs> so yeah. it was amazing that they would be the same band. Uh, the lead singer of the band passed away, actually, in 2012. I'm just reading right now from Complications from Alcoholism at 47. Um, in the photo on the Discog page, he is definitely wearing a codpiece. So that puts him in line, as we talked about in the episode, with all the other GGs who didn't find massive success in stardom. Yeah, that was the other thing that I, I just realized. I came across some points I wrote down, which is why I, I sidetracked you here at the end. I apologize. But uh, um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the, you guys pitching the documentary of all of the GGs that were never to be <laughs> should be made. I think that's a great idea, and someone should do that. Um, but yeah, anyway, sorry. I, I just thought we'd be remiss if I, we didn't bring up <laughs> that record at least once. You no, know, we got to talk about this. This tape 
that they also have um, listed here uh, with songs such as Peekaboo Bloodbath 4, Death of Peekaboo, <laughs> Release the Bats, Chicken Butcher, So, oh, well, this is So I Killed a Few Bitches. What's wrong with that? <laughs> Mommy Had a Baby, Stare to Heaven, Please Be My Friend. Like, it's just, it's really, it never ceases to amaze the the level of the sub ggs with song titles that's actually that's the perfect way to put it that's the genre now sub ggs uh i also think perhaps that this label uh unbeknownst to me might be one of my favorite labels all of a sudden because everything they have just looks amazing (laughs) it's terrifying and amazing it is a fucking insane label it is one of my like favorite kind of deep dive kind of areas to go into is is depression records because what's the deal with this thing you know like it's it's <laughs> the bands are all weird like that legion the boom of the legion of dooms records always come with like i don't know like a hundred inserts like it's just like some crazy <laughs> person just stuffing sheets of paper in the record like okay that one's ready to go out next record <laughs> the other thing I want to mention here really quick in the resource if you look up Slaughterhouse which is two words um, the actual mommy's little panty boy quote unquote 7 inch is actually on YouTube like someone has ripped it so you can get the full audio as well Yeah, um, and it's punk and or goth rock it's listed as but uh, that wasn't the one you're talking about right they have another record or is that the one that's the one and you can't see that it they don't the have that photo the really disturbing yeah, photo there. Yeah. They have they have the picture of the woman on the wall, but they don't have the disturbing third or sorry, fourth image. Yeah. Which is the one with the little girl from the front, the woman on the wall, and then the murderer guy. <laughs> Either way, you, you can hear this record as it turns out because someone has put it online, which is the joys of the internet. And uh, this is a it's a moderately priced record though. I didn't realize it was went for any money. That's but just happened uh, recently. Yeah, that's probably due to you. <laughs> yeah, but exactly. You Turned out a punk bump. Exactly the the top bump. The other thing though, if you're using the scale that we've referred to, or at least I've referred to, is versus the haves versus wants. We're at a solid almost 50 50 so that also could have something to do with it mm-hmm. when you want to know how much you're going to pay for a record meaning uh depression records though you're right cool cool ass label put it a plain field seven inch as well Who would... it just it just like this stuff looks pretty sick like and i don't i don't have any of it but you had pointed this record out to me before we talked about the boom and the legion of doom record and just every time i like you know, re look into this, which seems to be only when I speak to you. <laughs> um, I'm just always like, yeah, this stuff looks amazing. Yeah, the Ugly and Proud record's pretty good too. Knuckles from nowhere. <laughs> like, just, yeah. Uh, premature Babies. I've got a, actually a bunch. Of, I've got the Plasma Alliance. I've got a bunch of records on this label, actually. Huh. What about. The first thing they ever do is <laughs> called Screw Tape Year 1.93K is the band name. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> like, it's just, 
It's a no, that's from 93. That record's like a 93 thing. Oh, so sorry. That is later. Pardon me. Is that even the same? It's got to be a different depression. It might be a different depression record. No, Battle Creek, yeah. Michigan, right? Isn't this Battle Creek, Michigan? Uh, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Um, So it must be the same one. Yeah, I guess. Anyway, what is going on? I got to get... There's definitely some records on this label that I don't have yet, but... Uh, like, I don't know if I have all these Boom and the Legion of Doom records. Definitely have a couple of them, but it's, it's, it's gnarly how much stuff came out on this label. Yeah. It's, uh, it's one of the hidden, uh, hidden gems. I'm going to, I'm going to put it up there as one of the hidden gem faves of this kind of show. Yeah, definitely. Depression records is, is one of our favorites and that seven inch, the one in question, the infamous now <laughs> Slaughterhouse 7-inch. They're in the Turn It a Punk uh, hall. Not a hall of fame necessarily. Sh- Not a hall of shame. The shrine, yeah. yeah just a hall, you know? The sh- it's like the shrine, yeah. It's like you They're walk gonna through. They're going to be put this, beside the pink baby Gopal and uh, yep. things of that nature. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's definitely like a little... Uh, I don't think I have the seven inch on red, so I'm going to add that to the wall list. Slaughterhouse seven inch on red vinyl. <laughs> so. Need more than one of it, yeah. So we need the baby Gopal record. We need this thing. What else do we need? Uh, Chris, I honestly can't. Remember. Gotta start homies doing twelve inch. Which was the other one? The homies twelve inch. Homies twelve inch. That's it. Fuck the homies twelve inch. Damn it. Oh God! Now you've opened that hole in my heart again. <laughs> I think we've ended this on a good note there. I just wanted to make sure we uh, we brought that up. All right. Well, that's it for this week on the show. How do they get in touch with us if they want to get in touch with us here at Turned Out of Punk Footnotes, Chris? It's Turned Out of Punk Footnotes at Gmail dot com. And if you want to get in touch with me, you can find me on various forms of social media at left for Damien. And, uh, that's it. Uh, I guess, uh, go out there and make your own culture. Check out this week's episode. Come see fucked up on tour over the weekend. If you're in Europe and in London or in, uh, Spain, but otherwise we'll be back in another point in the near future. Uh, there's a new fucked up song, raise your voice choice. Uh, the new record's coming out soon. Real weird, really weird record. Um, I'm I'm actually really getting into it now, for the but it was it took me a while because it's definitely the most radically different fucked up record. That's for sure. Uh, yes, and, and who who put it out there, Dame? Who put it out? Shout merge, it out. merge. There you go. We did it. We joined teams with John Worcester. Voltron is complete. Me and Worcester are now on the same <laughs> label. Watch out, world. Nice. Nice. Uh, future guests of the show Mac from Super Chunk Laura from Super Chunk Jim from Super Chunk all of them are going to be on the show eventually Um, nice but yeah I'm very stoked to be on that label new label yeah you know like Cameron said new label let's get that money (laughs) that was a perfect ending (laughs) 